0: thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, you want to turn with me in the story to week 22? Or if you have your Bibles, you want to turn over uh, to Luke uh, chapter 2? A couple of things that we did in uh, Bolivia that was a little bit unique. Uh, they've got their... Seasons down there are just very. It's very warm the whole time. The entire time we were there was like 95 degrees with probably 100 percent humidity, and so you're just sweaty, hot, kind of damp the whole time. And uh, so because of that, they've got they've got three growing seasons throughout the year, and they've got fruit and vegetables that are out of the Garden of Eden. I mean, these things are just massive. So we get there and they're telling us about this the the abundant produce and how just wonderful this is and they tell us the avocados are just like the size of watermelons, you know. And so we're like, oh, I, I'd love to have some, av- some fresh avocado. So we went to a restaurant one night, and they've got these little dishes, this green stuff that looks like guacamole. I'm like, man, I've been waiting for this stuff. So get a piece of bread, and I just load it. I mean, it points with the whole dish. It's all... There's a bunch of people on the ta- on the table with us, but I'm like, forget everyone else. This is my guacamole. I've been waiting for this this moment, and so I just begin to pound this stuff. Well, it turns out it wasn't guacamole. It was fire sauce or something. I don't know what they called it, but it was the hottest. I mean, I had like steam coming out of my ears. It was, and everyone's laughing at me because I call like, oh, you thought it was guacamole. We all, everyone at the table knew it wasn't guacamole. They just thought I was crazy. So. It was terrible, but um, I also, at that same restaurant, we, ha- we ate, because uh, we didn't want to be offensive to the traditional foods, they, had, they served us uh, this dish of different cow parts, so we had uh, cow heart, cow small intestine, we had this thing called blood sausage, which is no sausage, just pure blood, and I had udder cooked udder so I don't know if anyone's had udder before probably not my guess don't ever try it just just go ahead and pass so yeah I I ate udder was not good not good all right let's begin in uh, week 22 we've been waiting we've been waiting for this week it's been five and a half months of anticipation for the arrival of Jesus Christ and so every single week, the three things that we have seen throughout the entirety of the story is that, that God is the sovereign creator of everything. He is in charge. He is the one in control. He is the one calling the shots. He is the one who is, who is overseeing and orchestrating all events throughout all of history. God is in control. But we also see this, that, he, that humanity was created by God in God's image, Precious and valuable to the Lord. But humanity is rebellious. And so every week we've also seen this. Man has discovered every possible way to rebel against God. If there is a way to rebel against God, we're going to try it. We're going to do it. And so from the very first week until, this, until last week, we've seen mankind rebel against God and try to find every way to twist his word and rebel against him. But, but yet, but yet loved by God. Mankind is loved by God. And then lastly, we see this, that God is on a rescue mission to redeem sinful, rebellious mankind. God is on a rescue mission. Every single week, God is on mission to redeem that which has been Been lost, that which has rejected him. God is pursuing and winning back and and bringing words to and wooing with his love and his mercy and his grace week after week after week. As sinful as man is, God's grace is yet greater. As sinful as man is, is as hard as we may try to rebel against God, his grace always goes goes so far beyond all that we've been able to rebel against him. His grace is, is greater than our sinfulness his mercy is greater than our rebellion. Amen? That's what God's doing. God is on rescue mission. And so throughout the Old Testament, it's taken different turns. So God at first is going to deliver his people from Egypt so that they can worship him in freedom in the promised land. Well, that kind of gets screwed up. And so as the people are in the promised land, the uh, Israel begins to rebel against God. They don't want to follow God's ways, and so they begin to, to follow the, the, pagan, the pagan nations. And even in returning, so they, as they become exiled, they're brought back from exile, and even in returning from exile, they still are rejecting God's ways and refusing to surrender to God and do things His way. But this morning, but this morning, everything changes. Everything changes this morning. See, the promise that God had made to Abraham over 2,000 years prior to the New Testament, 2,000 years prior to Christ's arrival, God had made a promise to Abraham. and God's promise to Abraham was this, that that I'm I'm going to be a blessing to you. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and your offspring forever. And I'm going to bless you in such a way that you are going to be a blessing to all the nations of the world, that all the world is going to be blessed through you and your family. And so that has been the, the, the mode of operation that we've seen. And so whether Israel has been following that decree and following those ways has been the level to which they've really experienced the fullness of the Lord. Were they a blessing to people? Were they a blessing to the nations? And unfortunately, more times than not, Israel became so consumed with their own idolatry in their own pleasures, in their own ways, that they refused to bring the light of God to the rest of the world because they were so consumed with themselves. It was about their comforts, their ways, their pleasures, their idols. And because of that, they refused to follow and go along with the Lord. So we get to a point of this. How are the nations then going to be blessed? I mean, how is it at this point in Israel's history how is it that the whole earth is going to be blessed by the people of God? How is it that God's name and his glory and his magnificence, how will that be proclaimed to the rest of the world? When we were in Bolivia, we went to visit a Catholic church that was just, it was just a beautiful, magnificent structure. This Catholic church had to be at least two city blocks long. And it was four to five stories tall. I mean, it was just this massive building, this massive structure. And like Ryan said, Ryan was a foot and a half taller than the rest of the entire population of Bolivia. He was like a nephilim amongst the people. And so Ryan Heath is just this massive guy, and me being just over six foot, whatever. I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm way taller than everyone else. We're giants. But the way that this Catholic church worked is that you would have to, the the doors, the front doors of the church were probably about just under six foot. So you had a duck to go under the doors. And then you came into this foyer that was probably about, you know, 12 foot tall, high ceilings. It It was a smaller foyer. And you walked out of the foyer and you walked into the sanctuary. And as you walked into the sanctuary, your head's kind of down and you begin to look up. And you look up and up and up, and this thing just went forever. And they had lights all around the ceiling of 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 the church, and this this uh, the ceiling was made of these intricate, detailed wood uh, pieces all fit together by the Jesuit priest who built this church a hundred years prior. And it was just magnificent, as as if as you walked in, your eyes were naturally drawn upward and outward, and you just begin to look and see. Man, this was just A beautiful structure. I've never seen anything like it in the States. But this is what's happened in the Old Testament. As we have gone through the story of the Old Testament, as if we're walking through and as as Israel continues to rebel and continues to get beat down over and over and over again, we finally get to the place in the story where we begin to look up because there's nowhere else to look. And as we look up, we see the answer we see God's solution for the problem. It's as if our eyes are naturally drawn upward because, look, we've we've been looking down for five and a half months. We've been trying this. Israel's been trying this thing for 2,000 years and nothing has worked. And finally, we walk out of the foyer and into the sanctuary. And we begin to hold a beautiful, magnificent structure that we couldn't possibly have imagined It looked like this. See, all the past failures of Israel, all the brokenness, all the empty promises, everything that Israel's made to God, everything that Israel's done, has set God's people up for this moment. They've been set up for this moment. They've tried everything. And now at this moment, God has finally got their attention. God's finally said, okay, look, you've tried every possible solution. But now I've got an answer. And it's not what you expect it to be. It's not even close to what you expected it to be. So this is how God answers this problem of sin and brokenness and empty, and empty lives in Israel. Turn with me over to page 310 in the storybook. This is uh, Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26. And so in in Luke's gospel, in this section, we've we've been talking about the upper story and the lower story. Well, Luke does a great job of giving us the lower story. Here's the details of the birth of Jesus Christ. Then we're going to look back, we're going to turn back over to John chapter 1, because in John's gospel, he gives us the upper story. So in all of our lives, this upper story, lower story, we see happening. And same thing in in the gospels, where what we see happening on earth is a lower story. Here's the details of what's taken place. But there's also an upper story to the Gospels and to all of our lives that God is at work doing something even when we can't see it. Even when we're unaware, God is still at work. God's at work in all the details of our lives. That's the upper story. So here we get to the lower story. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, we're going to skip down to the bottom of the page. So, her, so Mary was engaged to Joseph, and an engagement then was just as strong as a marriage bond is today. So in order to break an engagement, you had to get a legal divorce. So Jacob, or Joseph goes to, his, goes to Mary, his, his engaged um, girlfriend or future wife, and finds out she's pregnant. And he knows that, hey, we're still virgins here, and you're pregnant. Uh, I don't, I'm not down with this. So Joseph decides, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to call this thing off. So he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. This is in verse page 312. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son And you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife. So in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. So Caesar Augustus, the ruler at the time, issues a decree, take a census throughout all the world. So in this census, you had to return back to your, home, your hometown to be registered in the census. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Joseph apparently forgot to make reservations at the hotel. Um, not a good thing. So, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there's a great... Host of angels surrounding the angel. The shepherds then go and find the baby, just as the angels had said. And they begin to celebrate, and there's a great rejoicing. And they said, the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen, which were just as they had been told. Jesus, the King, the Messiah, is born against the backdrop of first century life. It's simple. Mary becomes pregnant supernaturally. Joseph thinks that she cheated on him. We have a census. They travel to their hometown. They need a place to stay. Joseph didn't make reservations. They have a baby in a stable. I mean, this is all first century life. And if you didn't know the upper story, this would seem quite common. But this is not the story that we get from the Gospel of John. See, John pulls back the covers a little bit. And John begins to show us in his Gospel the upper story and what was exactly taking place at the birth of Jesus. Because in the birth of Jesus, we see a collision. Heaven and earth begin to collide. And the person of Jesus Christ is being revealed. And God's purposes of salvation for his people begins to unfold and unravel and we begin to see this so turn with me now over to page 309 in the story or you can turn with me over to john chapter 1 verse 1 so this is the upper story we just read the lower story now we're looking at the upper story of what's taken place in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god not a god but was god He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, in Jesus, in him, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. That's what Jesus Christ has done. This is the upper story of the birth of Jesus Christ. The light shines in the darkness. About eight years ago, With our high school youth group, we took a missions trip. And on this missions trip, we were going to go to Tijuana, to the slums of Tijuana, and we're going to build small homes, right? For for that slum area, these homes, 11 by 22 foot homes, were pretty good homes. Didn't have dirt floors, they had cement floors, had good construction. So we went to the slums of Tijuana to build homes. Well, when you check the weather in Tijuana, it's it's like 75, 80, 90. I mean, it's, 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 it's warm. And so we went in mid-June with the high school youth group to build the homes. Well, we get there during the day, and it's all good. I mean, it's, it's hot. It's nice. We leave Chicago. It's 100 degrees in Chicago. We land in San Diego. It's 73 and sunny, which is what it is all year round. And we drive into Tijuana, it's warmer, but it's still sunny and beautiful and nice. Well, what we didn't realize is that the temperatures during the day are in the 80s and 90s, but at night, the temperature plummets. It's more of like a desert kind of dry heat. And so we, we get there, we're sleeping in tents. Um, we've packed nothing but, but T-shirts and shorts and so we, we head to bed for the very first night. And I think, Courtney, you were on this trip, weren't you? Okay, Larry, were you on this trip too? Yeah, you were on this trip. So you guys, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. So we get there, and we sleep on our tents. We go to bed for the first night. And we go to bed. It's probably about 70 degrees, so it's pretty nice. Nice to sleep, in, you know. So as we sleep there, and as the night begins to progress, it gets colder and colder and colder. And by about, by about midnight, I woke up. And it was probably 40 degrees in our tent. And it is just freezing. And all I have are t-shirts and shorts. So what do I do? What, what are you going to do when you're in a tent with nothing but t-shirts and shorts and it's 40 degrees and it's midnight? And you've got to, it's a long night ahead. So what are you supposed to do? Well, I did what I thought was the best thing to do. And that was this. I began to put on every piece of clothing that I could possibly find to put on. I'm in my tent, and as I'm in my tent, I'm beginning just to put on everything I could find. T-shirt after T-shirt, I mean, it is, it is so cold that you've got to put on everything you could possibly find to put on. So as I'm, as I'm sitting there, I'm putting on shorts, T-shirts, I mean, towels that I had. I'm trying to use towels as blankets. I mean, I might even put my suitcase on me to keep warm. <laughs> but here's, here's the reality of it when it's when it 's forty degrees inside your tent and you 've got nothing but t shirts and shorts, there isn't an amount of t shirts that you can possibly put on to stay warm because at forty degrees, whether you have one t shirt on or like four t shirts on it doesn't matter. you are still freezing so here, here here's where i 'm sitting in my in my tent and i'm i'm freezing to death and i 'm sitting there with this a sheet and and, and suitcases and towels upon me and every possible shirt that I could find out of my suitcase, all the shorts I had on, socks, everything I could find, and I am still freezing to death. And at that point, the only thing you can really do is pray for the arrival of the sun. I mean, that's all you can do. Lord, we need the sun to come up right now. I don't know if you need a fast-forward time, or I'm going to die in a tent in Tijuana on a missions trip, no less. So you need to please do something. Well, that was the most miserable that was probably the most miserable night of my life. It was freezing, it was cold. Tried every possible thing. This is exactly what was Israel's experience then. In Genesis they try to find wisdom apart from God. Adam and Eve, they're going to eat the apple. God, we don't need to do things your way. We'll we'll find life apart from you. In Exodus they 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 leave the the confines of Egypt and they finally get to the, to the entrance of the promised land where they do to begin worshiping the gods of the Egyptians and kings and judges they begin to worship the, the gods of the, the, the surrounding nations and Haggai they return from exile to only put all their time and effort into building their own homes and completely neglect the purposes of God In Ezra and Nehemiah they still they begin to do religious reforms but even that wasn't good enough See, the problem was that they're sitting in a tent with 40 degrees and they're trying to put on every possible thing to find life. But none of it worked. See, none of, the, none of the shirts they tried to put on would keep them warm. They tried everything they could apart from God to find life and purpose and meaning, and none of it worked. Because what they needed was the arrival of the sun. They tried every possible solution. And none of it worked. Did you pick that up along as we read the story? They tried everything. But it's like putting a t-shirt on when it's 40 outside. It doesn't keep you warm. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't, doesn't care, provide for you. It does absolutely nothing for you. So what's God on mission to do? To a people sitting in darkness. To a people far away from God. God sends his son, and this is what it says about Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came into a dark and weary land. A land that had tried and tried and tried to find life and hope and purpose and fulfillment in anything they possibly could apart from God's ways. And it never fully satisfied. That's why they had to jump from one God to the next God, to the next thing, to the next pleasure, to the next whatever they could find to to somehow attain life and purpose and meaning and relationship. And none of it worked. To people frozen in their own sin, God sends the Son. See, we today, we today, we live in a world that is desperately searching for life. They have tried every possible thing to find satisfaction, to find purpose, education, sex, relationships, jobs, money, Food, sports, you name it. We've tried every possible thing to find purpose and meaning in life. And in that respect, we are no different than Israel back then. Our culture, our society, who we are, what we have done, we have searched and we've searched and we've searched. But the problem is, it can never, the t shirts we put on can never keep us warm because they weren't meant to. See, a t-shirt's not meant to keep you warm when it's 40 outside. It wasn't meant to do that, but we've searched and we've tried. We, too, need the sun. We need the arrival of the sun. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that he not only comes to show the way of God and to reveal what God is like, but if you caught what what the angel said to Joseph, he says, you're going to call him Jesus why are you going to call him Jesus? Because he's going to save the people from their sins. That's why Jesus came. He came to reveal God to people, yes, but so much more than that. He came to save people from their sins. See, in all these shirts that we've put on, we've tried to find life apart from God. We've rejected God and said, we will go our own way. We're going to look for things apart from you, which can, can, can really cannot satisfy or give us life, but we're going to try it anyways, he not only shows us the way of God, but he, he saves us from our sins. And this is how Jesus Christ did this. Larry, if you want to come up for me real quick. See, the solution, I'm going to put this on for me. It's a nice, warm coat. No, oh, it's Larry's. Believe me. I took it from his house. See, what Jesus Christ does for us is this, is that he doesn't just come and say, hey, let me show you the way. See, he came in the flesh. He didn't come, he didn't shout from a distance, hey, this is the way you should go. He came up close and personal. He said, look, I'm not going to only show you the way personally, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of your sin." the sin that you tried to keep warm with, this, the stuff that you've tried so hard to find life in, I'm going to take that upon myself on the cross. I'm going to take that to the cross and be crucified for your sin, for your rebellion. I'm going to take all of your sin and all of your failures upon my body. In its place, I'm going to give you what you needed most. So what I needed in that tent was something to keep me warm. T-shirts weren't going to do it. What we needed was the forgiveness of our sins. And What Jesus Christ came to do is he came to provide us with that which we could not provide for ourselves. He came and gave us a righteousness that was his righteousness given to us. He came and gave us his life given to us. We tried and searched and searched and searched and we could never find it. But Christ Jesus provided it for us. It's like sleeping in that tent. What I needed was a warm blanket, confined one. Jesus provided a coat when we needed one. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And you can see where for Israel then it was good news, but for us today it is still good news. Jesus Christ has provided us with everything we have needed in relationship and in purpose and in forgiveness of our sins it's the good news that we bring to people as you we watched the super bowl a couple weeks ago commercial after commercial selling trying to pr- prove to us that what we have is not enough we need more we need better we need something else we need better relationships better cars better food better jobs whatever and we buy into it heart and soul all day long and we continue to search and search and search But there is no life apart from Jesus Christ. And so to a weary and worn out world, Jesus Christ says, Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll bring you life. I'll give you what you need most. That's what Jesus Christ has done. He's come to bring light to those sitting in darkness. He's come to bring hope to those who've tried every possible solution and have come up short every single time. That's what Jesus Christ has done, and he meets us right where we are at. doesn't wait for us to get fixed up and try to get warm on our own. He meets us in the cold, shivering darkness and gives us his light and his life and hope. Amen. We're going to pray. I want to encourage you. If you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, let this morning be your morning. We've tried and we've searched, but have come up short every time. Jesus Christ offers to us what that which we cannot earn on our own. If you are a believer here this morning, let this encourage your souls. God has provided all that we need in life, in godliness, in himself. We don't need to search in, in hobbies, and in internet, and in relate. We don't have to search all those places to find life. We have everything we need in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for the good news of your arrival. Lord, you didn't wait for us to somehow come to you. You came to us. You've met us where we were in the darkness. The the light has shone into the darkness. Jesus, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the mercy and the grace that you've lavished upon us. Thank you, Jesus, that even though we've turned our backs on you over and over again, you still pursue. Your grace is still greater. So, Jesus, we want to say thank you. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. So, God, we give you our lives. We surrender to you. We receive your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.